Welcome to the Authority Podcast, Plumbing and Mechanical. When talking about the built environment, we would do well to remember, we shape our buildings and afterwards our buildings shape us. Therefore, on each episode, we'll discuss the latest trends from IATMO in plumbing and mechanical safety, sustainability, and resiliency. Join me, your host, Christoph Lohr, and together we'll explore the ways we can make our buildings shape us for the better. Welcome to this week's episode of the Authority Podcast, Plumbing and Mechanical. This is part two of our two-part series, where we'll continue our conversation about plumbing resiliency with Dave Viola, CEO of IATMO, Billy Smith, Executive Director and CEO of ASPE, and Carrie Stackpole, Executive Director and CEO of PMI. I'm Christoph Lohr, your host, and I'm looking forward to continuing our conversation. If you missed part one, I suggest you go back and listen to that episode before continuing here. Now, let's jump right into part two of my conversation with Dave, Billy, and Carrie. To me, as you know, having being a licensed professional engineer in six states, including my home state here in Arizona, you know, it's crazy to me to think that you know that it's even an issue to have, or that there's even a process that's needed to have a plumbing engineering examination. Uh, and it's exciting to see that plumbing engineering, which is one of those many components, again, you know, manufacturing, uh, the installer, the the code official, the, the inspector. I mean, there's all these entities underneath that plumbing umbrella. Uh, that have their expertise. And it, it, to me, it's it, that was kind of one of the biggest challenges when it came to elevating the entire plumbing engineering profession was getting a examination or a portion of an exam that that is directed at plumbing engineering, uh, especially with the incredible impact it has on public health and safety. And it was a big challenge, you know, to kind of get over that 10 state limit. And, um, you know, I'm personally very happy. I think uh, all of us on this call, uh, I don't want to speak for anybody, are happy about that because it, it, that kind of, kind of just, it's one of those challenges that now we've as a, as an industry have, have overcome. Um, and in any challenge, there's always opportunity as well. And, you know, we've talked a lot about, about some of the negatives out there. What are some of the biggest opportunities for plumbing? You know, some of the challenges that we're overcoming. And I guess, you know, Carrie, let me start with you. You know, what is your sense as far as some of the the biggest opportunities out there for the plumbing industry? Well, you know, Dave hit on a really important point, which is that we we're talking about a, a system that's incredibly complex and there's lots of interest and lots of opportunity, I'll say, to do the right thing. But in many cases, sometimes our policymakers and our legislators don't quite understand the complexity that we've all been talking about this afternoon. To me, I think one of the great opportunities is harmonizing state water efficiency standards, because it's a way of creating a system that everyone can understand. You know, when I think about harmonizing water standards, I really think about water sense standards. The program put together between the EPA and the industry back in 2006, you know, we the products use less water. They meet a federal standard. They they deliver high performance. You know, when when the program was first put into place, there were you know a couple hundred fixtures that met that 20% less water use standard. And now there's more than 30,000 different products in plumbing. And the idea that you know, we have policymakers in different states who feel the pressure as they might in Arizona or in California, for example. And, you know, the, the desire is to push the water levels down as low as they think is possible, not realizing the impact that happens to the water system when you let water sit in pipes and so forth. So it's kind of interesting because it creates a real dilemma. Can manufacturers create 
you know, 50 different products for 50 different states because they all want to have different standards. Not really. It's not really very practical. But the good news is WaterSense products are certified. They're tested. They're high performance. So I think that's really a unique opportunity in, in our line of work. I think it's a place where there are more than enough products, more than enough opportunity to save water. I think the program saves something on the order of 4.4 trillion gallons of water since, oh, I guess 2006. And because you're saving water, as you know, you're also saving energy. And a lot of times folks don't put those next, that nexus together, but you know, consumers have saved about, I think it's $87 billion in water and energy costs as a result of the WaterSense program. So my gut is that that's a great, that's a really large opportunity for our industry. It's crazy to look at those numbers, Kerry, and and think about the potential positive impact. Um, and I'm really glad you brought those up. And you also made note of, of standards. And so, I, you know, I guess I want to turn this question to, to Dave. Uh, with IATMO being a, a code and standards organization, you know, what are you seeing as far as the biggest opportunities for plumbing? Well, I feel like um, being a Chicago native, this was a slow pitch, 12 inch softball pitch to me after uh, Kerry tipped it off. You know, uh, when my work at PMI for nearly 10 years from the uh, late 90s to, you know, mid 2000s, um, you know, we had water efficiency harmonization as one of the number one priorities. And when I left PMI, that was one of the things that I thought IATMO could really help um, uh, resolve. So one of the first things I did when I came to IATMO is develop the uh, green plumbing and mechanical code supplement that was designed to basically set harmonized, uniformly applied requirements for fixtures, fittings, and systems that use water within the built environment. And then the green supplement evolved into and, and turned into IATMO's water efficiency and sanitation standard, otherwise known as uh, WeStand. And it's heavily reliant upon the water sense specifications that IATMO of Lance for Water Efficiency and PMI worked so hard to make sure were uh, embraced and established and supported across the country. So yes, uh, I agree wholeheartedly with Kerry that uh, this, the continued harmonization and making sure that there's no rogue jurisdictions when it comes to um, drastic, dire, non-supported changes just to go after um, the almighty water savings because there are consequences as we talk about with uh, the complexity of the system. So back to the, the bigger question with regard to what are the opportunities, Christoph, industry partners coming together to collaborate, to keep confronting the, the growing list of challenges is, is one of the biggest opportunities. You know, PMI, ASPE, and IATMO will need to continue leading the way like we have. We've got a long history together of these three organizations doing really good things. And it, certainly I can't uh, forget about the Alliance for Water Efficiency also, but um the, uh, the work we've done with the federal and state policies to make sure that they're uniformly applied and they're reasonable and they're actually doing what they're intended to be done. You know, the work we've done collaborating on the uh, Plumbing Efficiency Research Coalition to deal with, you know, the impacts of reduced water in the drainage system, the water demand calculator that I talked about before, you know, ASPE and IATMO working together with the uh, Plumbing Industry Leadership Coalition and the Emerging Water Technology Symposium to to bring the thought leaders together to, to address these very important issues on, a, on an annual basis. And then of course, uh, all these organizations have teams of staff that continually work to improve construction codes and product and design standards to keep pace with everything. 
and then keep the professionals in our industry properly trained and credentialed to keep pace. And the last uh, opportunity that I see is uh, embracing the transformative, innovative technologies. We're going to need to continue to embrace them as they're going to come out faster and faster, and they're going to need to be embraced to address the resiliency needs of you know our of our world. So we have to have nimble standards and code processes and conformity assessment schemes that um, that really allow this transformative innovation system to do what it's intended to do. That's a really great point, Dave. You touched on it that the concept of smart plumbing or smart water systems. And it's so spot on, Dave, because that's exactly what I feel like I've been seeing over the last, especially the last two, three years as a result of uh, many of the concerns of waterborne pathogens, that whole concern of water safety that has come out. Billy, you know, from an engineering standpoint, what is ASPE and, and its members, what are they seeing as far as smart plumbing and and trying to, you know, seeing that as an opportunity for plumbing, in essence, for the plumbing industry? Great question, uh, Christoph. And before I dive deeply into that. I wanted to touch on one of the earlier opportunities for plumbing that we were talking about, and that was the uh, Professional Engineering Initiative and how important that is. And to kind of expound on how important ASPE feels that is to our industry and continued growth, ASPE has its own credentialing program, the CPD, CPDT, and also the GPD. And it's still important enough for us to spend valuable resources and time to try to get the uh, plumbing component in the uh, professional engineering exam. And that plays right along with everything that Carrie and Dave is sharing about all of the smart water and opportunities that we have to uh, from the plumbing profession to continue to take advantage of taking care of our resources and Dave mentioned the green plumbing uh, area for IATMO and that having grown into the we stand and ASPE wholeheartedly supports all of the work in our industry on that component, so much so that I'm still very involved with IATMO and that sitting as the current chair of the we stand and seeing the importance of that and how passionate the industry is about that the We Stand and also the uh, IWISH Foundation and supporting that around the world in different opportunities. And ASPE supported that in the past with sending uh, some of our members on some of those uh, long distance opportunities around the world where people are suffering for a lack of sanitation and water and proper hygiene. So it's uh, such a valuable component and the uh, members of ASPE, the uh, plumbing engineer profession, is extremely focused on continuing to focus on the designs that we can bring about for our facilities to better use the water resources that we have and protect uh, health and safety and continue working with uh, PMI, our manufacturers, who are so important, bringing about specific products through their designs and then going through the testing and recertification of those products to maintain proper installations and making sure those products are going to work efficiently using uh, even less of our valuable resource in water. And all of us just need to take the opportunity to understand that our water resource isn't endless. A lot of people think it's in 
infinite resource. It's just not, we all understand that. And we need to educate the uh, entire industry on that on a global basis. So water conservation and water treatment and distribution remains the focus of every plumbing engineer relative to new and renovated facilities using modern technology. And Christoph, you talked about what are the uh, plumbing engineers looking at, and that's it. The modern technology that's come about and continues to be developed in our marketplace to help each of us assist in monitoring and controlling commercial domestic water applications. Advanced design capabilities via water management technologies are the focus of today's plumbing engineer to successfully manage our resources. That's such a, an astute point, Billy. And, and you mentioned, you know, that we don't have this infinite resource. And that just, it makes me think from, I think it was the World Plumbing Council, the conference that was earlier uh, this year, or at the tail end of last year, and how one of the quotes in there is that I remember that that stuck out was, if plumbing is essential, why don't we act like it? And I guess, Dave, let me let me throw that your way, because I, I remember you and I had a conversation about this, and you sensed my frustration with that, and especially having been a plumbing engineer for a long while, and you had some thoughts on why if plumbing is essential, especially when water resources you know are, are being taxed, you know, why we don't act like this. So I guess, you know, if plumbing is essential, why don't we act like it, Dave? It's a it's a very interesting question, Christoph. You know, uh, in my work with the World Plumbing Council uh, and IATMO being global, we um, we have access to um, what goes on all around the world. And uh, so the, the the question that we're talking about here is really a Western world issue. You know, uh, plumbing is essential, but it's taken for granted in the Western world because water is plentiful. It goes down the drain and it's forgotten about. So it's uh, it's just another utility. Bring in some electricity, bring in some fuel gas, bring in some water and, and let the, the waste go out and it's forgotten about. I believe though, this is a changing issue because uh, water scarcity is no longer just uh, you know an issue for the continent of Africa or uh, Asian countries um, where they've got population demands that are squeezing their, uh, their water and, and water quality issues uh, prevent them from uh, allowing it to be used for uh, for drinking water, it's now becoming a Western problem. You know, uh, our aging infrastructure, which is a theme throughout this discussion today, is requiring us to invest again in water quality and infrastructure. And uh, climate change is affecting things on a couple levels. You know, the, uh, the amount of water we have to, to, to pull from, you know, the um, aquifers are drying up, you know, surface waters are, are drying up. And um, so, the quality of water is also changing. As the water is reduced, the amount of contaminants that are in that reducing supply needs to be addressed, and in some cases can't be uh, eliminated. So there really is a need for all of us to be paying attention to and, and appreciating plumbing that, that it is essential. So without belaboring this anymore, we've touched on this many different ways, you know, the complexity of plumbing and the importance of plumbing for, you know, proper uh, sanitation and proper hygiene and um, and water is life. Uh, so it's crucial for health and well-being. People are now starting to wake up and understand that it's uh, it's important. So as industry leaders, PMI, ASP, and IATMO, we're going to have to continue to educate the industry, the decision makers, policy makers uh, at every level of government, and to the public at large uh, to to embrace this this need to uh, understand plumbing as essential and increase the speed of change. It's going to change, but it, unfortunately, the change is probably going to be 
occurring because of disasters or loss of water as being reliable or safe. And that's what's going to wake people up. Um, but hopefully we can do that as an industry and get there before there is something cataclysmic that occurs. You know, that's a great point, Dave. You know, the disasters that are out there just over the last year are there just have seems to have been a plethora of concerns that have come out for any number of reasons. And and one of them that really came out was interesting to me at you know, it was early in 2020, obviously, you know, the COVID pandemic that has occurred, you know, on a global scale. And Carrie touched on the tariffs and some of the impact on supply chain issues. But, you know, speaking specifically of COVID and from a plumbing standpoint, Billy, I think that from a from a technical standpoint, COVID really had a big impact on the the plumbing industry, uh, not necessarily because of COVID being found in water systems, but because of this issue of stagnant water in vacant buildings. Billy, maybe you can touch a little bit on that idea as, you know, how COVID kind of showed us that plumbing is essential uh, and some of the concerns there. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you, Christoph. And, you know, ASPE's got a plethora of free information on our website and our education portal. And some of that information is COVID specific, the COVID impact on plumbing systems and future designs as well. Uh, Guidelines for best practices for water quality post COVID. And we have multiple webinars that people can draw from that have been developed because of COVID and what that's doing to our plumbing industry, especially and what I'm speaking at relative to the design portion. And and we've talked a little bit about this earlier in the podcast. In in general, people think water is simple, but it's highly complicated. And I'm not sure that we completely know at this moment the extent and the effect of the COVID-19 crisis and all of the unintended consequences of how this crisis has specifically affected plumbing uh, systems and Christoph, you've been uh, very uh, an integral component in putting some of these presentations together that Ashby has, and uh, we appreciate you doing that. And you know, but this alone will force the plumbing engineer to broaden their respective thinking from the beginning of the design process all the way through to completion and installation thereof. You know, the use of more hands-free components that Kerry uh, spoke of early on. It's going to be a, a a big item, and our manufacturers are doing a great job of developing those components for the plumbing engineer to design around, which will also help reduce the contamination opportunities in new designs and even retrofitting current facilities. And we talked about the stagnant uh, water situation, and from the beginning, uh, a little more than a year ago when COVID hit and the pandemic caused a lot of just overall shutdown of the large facilities around the country and the world. We're talking about uh, large facilities just sitting stagnant, no water moving through the piping systems and the things that this will allow uh, the harboring and growth of uh, waterborne diseases. It just, and the opportunity for Legionella to continue to grow in we're hopeful that many of the facilities were properly uh, reopened, uh, recommissioned, if you will. That's been a large uh, focus in our industry about making sure that we're getting the systems properly flushed. And the engineering community has been very helpful in that in going back as well to the engineer of record on many of the 
facilities that sat so stagnant and helping the uh, inspectors and city officials and government officials to make sure that all of those facilities were being opened properly and would be a safe harbor for the uh, occupants and people that operated in those facilities. But what about an increased focus that we need on that stagnant water and facilities such as hotels that, you know, zero activity for months on top of months and um, the proper maintenance of that to get it reopened. Those are things that it's forced us to not just focus on existing buildings, but how best to design new facilities in preparation for, uh, as you stated earlier, uh, Christoph, we may only be educated many times because of catastrophes that we see, but we need to do a better job of planning in advance, thinking of out of the box, what's next? What's next? What do we need to be prepared for in designing our products, designing, uh, the, having the engineer design the uh, entire facility? What's next in the codes and standards world? It's all one big team that we need to work together to make sure that we are not just working on what we see now, what's coming, what's the next thing. Even now with the COVID-19 pandemic showing signs of slowing down, we still have more and more dormant buildings with stagnant water systems. And the risk is still very raw relative to Legionella growth, corrosion, and contaminants within the plumbing systems. And we need to continue focusing on what we need to do each and every day moving forward for future pandemics, disasters, catastrophes, and uh, to continue protecting public health and safety. You know, that's a that's a great point, Billy, and how COVID has really pushed a lot of industry organizations and, and various professionals to work together. And you know, that makes me think of the uh, two of the documents that uh, one that's already out and one that's coming out that were done in collaboration between AWWA and IATMO, uh, the Responding to Stagnant Water and Buildings document that was released, I believe, last year in the summer. And then uh, the soon to be released uh, Manual of Best Practices for the Safe Closure and Reopening uh, buildings, uh, water supplies, and and that one has ASPE members on it as well, and members from from a host of different backgrounds, and, and including you know manufacturer input as well. You know, so your your point, Billy, about that collaboration that's needed is is so key. And it was interesting during COVID, having a foot on on the MEP construction side right at the beginning of the pandemic, and then having another foot on the uh, the water side of the industry, as it were. were to see this dichotomy of where the, the sort of construction and MEP world tended to focus on air and and electricity and to a lesser degree identifying uh, they really didn't identify any concerns with plumbing well even with retrofitting healthcare facilities and then you know having my foot in the water side and, and seeing all of my my water industry contacts screaming at the top of their lungs uh, that, you know, stagnant water in buildings, we need to be concerned about this. This can be a potentially huge hazard. And there's this, I think one of those, uh, one of those reasons maybe why we don't act like it is this, there's this, this need to network and educate uh, the other side of the aisle, as it were, uh, you know, those that we interact with a lot. Um, but I don't want to have focus too much on COVID because there was a, a host of other disasters uh, that we had this last year. Uh, and, and Carrie, I, I think when when we were talking uh, 
ahead of this uh, podcast here today, you had mentioned a couple of them to me. Um, I, I think you had mentioned something about you know Northern California and some of the concerns there. Can you speak on that? Because again, we focus on COVID, but there's been a host of other concerns that we've had here and and, and other things that, you know, and maybe you want to touch on that and then also kind of address that question of if plumbing is essential, why don't we act like it? It's a great question. I mean, it's hard to imagine a more exciting and dynamic time to be part of the plumbing industry, truthfully. I mean, one of the main weapons we have in the fight against COVID-19 is is the simple act of washing your hands and mm. having clean san you know clean sanitation. Yeah. And and the good news is I think largely federal and state governments have begun to recognize the essential nature of plumbing as part of this. You know, the pandemic sort of illuminated this question for a lot of people, I think. But to your earlier question, and this really speaks to something Dave talked about in terms of climate change, you know, when you think about sort of the shifts that are going on in the world, you can't help but think about things like the Tubbs wildfire, for example, in Santa, mm -hmm. I guess it was Santa Rosa, California, back in October 2017, that damaged over 500 water system service lines, or the I think the larger campfire, which pretty much burned Paradise, California to the ground, it damaged about uh, 10,000 service lines, destroyed 172 miles of water infrastructure. And in both, in both of those cases, post-disaster, benzene and a whole host of volatile organic compounds were found in the water system. And the great challenge and the thing that I still is mystery to a lot of people is no, there's no de definitive explanation of how or why that happened. And so, you know, from our standpoint as an industry, you know, we, we have to kind of continue down this road and realize that there's as much as we know about the system and we know about the complexity, there are still some things that have not been fully you know, I'll say fully investigated or fully discovered about all that all that happens in in these new frontiers that we face. Some some driven by climate change, others driven by you know natural disasters. I certainly think you know Hurricane Katrina, which is um, you know sort of a long a while back, is another good example of where we didn't totally understand what the risks were in some of the systems that were in place. And if you look, if you look kind of out in the in the bigger picture, you know, we average about 850 water main breaks a day in North America. I mean, we, we've got water, you know, we we are experiencing an aged infrastructure that really does need our urgent attention. And I think climate change so wildfires and natural disasters have helped illuminate that. And certainly the, the COVID-19 pandemic has brought that to, to the forefront. And I hope from a, um, I'll say an information and an action perspective, our policymakers and uh, legislative leaders will jump to this. That's a great point, Carrie. And let me follow up with you here. You know, you mentioned the water mains, and I think we talk a lot about from bills that are that come out through the federal government uh, and addressing some of the water mains, but what you know, how else can jurisdictions, inspectors, and policymakers help improve plumbing resiliency? What other what are some of the other steps that they can take? Yeah, I think I think the focus that our industry has brought ASPE and IATMO and PMI and other groups is really the focus on health 
and safety in the water system. I think that's critical. I mean, PMI manufacturers uh, have been working uh, diligently and working in concert with code production to minimize risks in uh, plumbing products, fixtures and fittings and so forth. You know, I think about things like lead service line replacement. You know, while there's discussion of reducing the lead in fixtures, which manufacturers are deeply committed to, there's still a lot of lead pipe and lead solder in the ground. And, you know, as a society and as a community, we certainly need to make sure that replacing lead service lines are a priority. I think it's something on order 50 to 75 percent of the lead found in water supplies originates from lead service lines. And the, you know, the I'll say the associated solder and in-premise plumbing. So I think, you know, I think that's an area of focus. You know, we have to focus on making sure that society, individuals, kids, families are safe and are able to access clean drinking water and have adequate plumbing facilities. And that's where the focus needs to be. It, it really is on outcomes, uh, not on which, not on which switch or which component or which piece, but rather, you know, let's, let's resolve and eliminate the risks that we know of now and that way we can have that forward focus you know there's that old saying Christoph, about there's a reason why the rearview mirror on your car is so small and the windshield is so big mm. <laughs> because we need we need to be looking forward and i think that you know since we know what some of the hazards are let's get those fixed and keep moving I like I like that a lot, Carrie. And actually, I'm going to have to take that one with me. I may have to quote you on that uh, in one of my future seminars. But but that that's a good point about looking forward. Um, and, and in many ways, you know, my sense is that you know codes and standards are those sort of devices that also help us look forward in the plumbing industry. And I guess let me let me call, turn this question over to Dave. You know, I mean, how can how can jurisdictions and inspectors and policymakers help improve plumbing resiliency? Well, the theme of today, uh, at least from my perspective, is um, you know adopting up-to-date plumbing codes and standards that really address progressive provisions like the Uniform Plumbing Code and We Stand that optimize water use, that prioritize the the plumbing challenges and the public health and safety issues of the day, and and de-emphasize marketing. Um, opportunities to, uh, to to focus on priorities like coordinating with other codes being the, the the biggest and most important issue. And then the second thing that that sticks with me is we need to require the proper skills and training from the professionals that are in our industry. The you know, licensing of plumbing plumbers and engineers. You know we talk about resiliency and uh, climate change and natural disasters creating rash decisions. Well, in Texas there there was a strong movement to get rid of licensing of plumbers because there wasn't enough plumbers available to, to fix um, the plumbing systems after Hurricane Katrina. So think about that for a second. As plumbing is getting more complex, using alternate water systems like gray water and black water and rainwater in buildings and all these things we're dealing with, making things more complex, policymakers are, are trying to address needing more plumbers by getting rid of licensing. So that's not the solution. And we got to make sure that we have enough plumbers and engineers and inspectors, get them credentialed up. And that's how we address the improving resiliency, you know, getting those updated codes and standards and proper skills and training. 
I, I think that's a great point, Dave. And education, in my mind, is such a huge part of that. I'm, I'm glad you touched on that because I think sometimes, as Carrie had, I think, just mentioned too, that jurisdictions, inspectors, and policymakers, a lot of times they're going to focus on the you know, trying to flip that one switch. And and really, it's it's a longer-term commitment that's needed. And education plays a huge part, in my mind, and, I, basically, you know, and, and how you described it, I think you would agree that it plays such a huge part in the in that role, um, in that in that capacity, and making sure not just now but in the future that we are addressing plumbing resiliency in a holistic manner. And I guess let me touch base with Billy. I mean, what is, what are your thoughts on that? You know, because I imagine you know, especially with ASPE being very education focused, you know, there's probably some considerations in there for for policymakers that they should be thinking about when it comes to to that education component. Absolutely, Christoph. Education is the core benefit that ASPE brings to its membership. And by that, and us working hand in hand with our industry partners, that education helps everyone in every single thing that they do each and every day. So education from everyone, policymakers, inspectors, all the jurisdictions, all of our industry partners, and having said that ASPE is focused on education to our members and the industry, we would also welcome any opportunity to have policymakers, anyone from the jurisdictions, inspectors, to take part in, in any of our annual and in many cases monthly education opportunities to bring uh, new and innovative ideas. And I want to touch on something. Kerry used a, uh, a word in his talk on this question. And it just struck with me, and it was the word focus. And, you know, each of us have to focus each and every day to do things right. And I'm not sure that the analogy I want to share with you will measure up to the one Carrie did uh, bring to us about the rearview mirror and the windshield, which was outstanding. So thank you for doing that. As long as it's not copyrighted, I think we all should use that. But <laughs> my late, my late father-in-law uh, taught me a tremendous lesson many years ago. And one of his favorite comments was, was this, if you don't have time to do it right now, why do you have time to do it over? And so that was, that really struck with me. And I think that is such a valuable component to what we have learned recently through catastrophes and the things that has brought to us about items we can change, items we can improve, items we can do better each and every day. And, and another thought process, if you are focused on the right now, if you are standing here right now and not planning to move forward, you're being passed by someone. So I use those couple of analogies to bring it back to what the plumbing engineer and its design profession must do and is so important to the design of overall systems based around more than just one engineer's thoughts. It has to be a collaborative effort for all engineers, all of our industry partners, codes and standards development, regulatory activities to bring about new thoughts, new ways. And then in time, the plumbing engineer profession adapts to, through that, through new products and also new codes and standards brought about that they design around. It's, as I mentioned earlier, it's a team effort and not to continue using uh, 
cliches, but we're only as strong as our weakest link. It's important that each of us focus to be strong links to what we do each and every day. You know, and and it's on that topic of focus, Billy. I think that's, you know, where we'll kind of wrap things up here. But when you talk about focus, it's something that reminds me of a famous Peter Drucker quote in his book on management from 1974. Before we wrap up, I want to get one or two top lessons from each of you for our listeners coming away from this. But uh, the quote that I'm thinking of is, in a knowledge-based economy, that is an economy which is directly based on the production, distribution, and use of knowledge and information. That requires knowledge-based workers, and that knowledge work is effective if it is only highly specialized. And he gives an example of what makes a brain surgeon effective is that he or she is highly specialized in brain surgery, but by the same token, that brain surgeon couldn't repair a damaged knee and would probably be helpless if confronted with a tropical parasite in the blood. Peter Drucker goes on to, to say, this is true for all knowledge work. Generalists are of limited use in a knowledge economy. In fact, they are only productive if they themselves become specialists in managing knowledge and knowledge workers. The knowledge needed in any activity has become highly specialized, and it is therefore increasingly expensive and difficult to maintain enough critical mass for every major task in an enterprise. And because knowledge rapidly deteriorates unless it is used constantly, maintaining within an organization an activity that is used only intermittently guarantees incompetence. And this, to me, that that quote, I came across it a couple of years ago, and it just, it hits on so much of what we talked about here today, which is that specialization and focus is such a key component to plumbing and the plumbing industry. And I think whether it's IATMO, whether it's ASPE, whether it's PMI, each of those organizations has a focus on the plumbing industry. There are no other consider, you know, not to say there's no other considerations, but but the focus and specialization that those three organizations bring. I know I've seen firsthand as a as an engineer and then having done technical sales during my career, the, the key components that that it brings into the industry. So I think that 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 point, Billy, you made about focus is so key. So as we wrap up, uh, I guess let's let's start with Billy. You know, what is your top one or two lessons that you think are audience members, our listeners should take away from uh, this fantastic podcast here today? That's a great question, Christoph. First and foremost, collaboration. It can't just be about the plumbing engineer from an ASPE perspective. It's got to be about the industry. It's got to be about our partners, what works best for each of us, working with policymakers, continuing to advance our codes and standards, which in turn helps our manufacturers. And in the umbrella of all of that, in the plumbing engineering profession takes what we have through our codes and standards and manufacturers and designs better systems, more efficient systems, safer systems, not just for the things that are out there right now, but what's yet to come, being prepared. I think preparedness and collaboration would be two really important lessons to learn from today, being prepared and working together. Awesome. Carrie, let me turn it over to you. What are your one or two top lessons uh, that our listeners should take away? Well, one, I think, is if you're in the plumbing industry, whether you're a plumbing engineer, you're an inspector, you're a member of the manufacturing team, a designer, understand that your role is protecting the health and safety of your fellow citizens. Every day when you go to work, it's not just getting something done on your desktop, but in the big picture, the reality is your talents and your skills are making a huge difference to society. 
and understand that most folks do not appreciate or understand the complexity, but that is part and parcel of your job and your work. And then I would say anything uh, you can do to encourage your elected leaders to support infrastructure development and the continued, I'll say, replacement, repair and replacement of our water infrastructure would be an amazing thing. Awesome. Thanks, Kerry. And last but certainly not least, Dave, I will give you the final word here. What do you think are the top one or two lessons for our listeners here today? Thanks, Christoph. Um, well, I won't repeat or build on. Uh, I guess I'll build on what Kerry and uh, Billy said, and it's unique to Atmo. And, you know, we've laid out today, and it's quite obvious, plumbing is increasingly complex and potentially dangerous. So uh, it, it absolutely predicates need for skilled plumbing professionals and resilient codes and standards that keep pace while maintaining the the high health and safety standards that are necessary. So those are kind of my two key takeaways. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Well, I was going to say, I'm sure we have some listeners that would love to learn more about your organizations or or would maybe even want to get in touch with you personally. We'll go in the same order of of top lessons. Billy, uh, what's the best way for folks to get in touch with you, whether it's, you know, social media or email? And then what's the best way for them to uh, get in touch with your organization? Everyone is welcome to reach out to me at bsmith at sb.org, but we also have the ASPE email, info at sb.org. We have also have Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook accounts, and all of those are shown on ASPE's uh, website, www.aspe.org. Awesome. Carrie, same for you. Uh, how do folks get in touch with you or your organization? Well, we take our mission to deliver safe plumbing seriously. So you can find us at www.safeplumbing.org and on Twitter at Safe Plumbing. And of course, on uh, LinkedIn and Facebook, Plumbing Manufacturers International as well. I'm always happy to respond to email and enjoy conversation. So I can be reached at kstackpole at safeplumbing.org. Perfect. And Dave, how can uh, folks reach out to you and or IATMO? Well, IATMO has a, a website, uh, www.iapmo.org. I would also encourage folks to take a peek at our uh, foundation, IWISH, which is uh, www.iwsh.org. It's where we do our uh, philanthropic and charity work supporting uh, water and sanitation for those that need it most around the world. I'm certainly on LinkedIn and Twitter, and of course, email. I'm happy to have someone reach out to me at dave.viola at iapmo.org. Happy to entertain any questions or follow up the discussion that we've had today. Thanks so much, Dave. And just to make sure that uh, our listeners can reach out to me as well, you can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn. On Twitter, it's at lore thoughts, uh, or you can find me on LinkedIn, Christoph Lore PE, and I would love to connect with you there. On behalf of the Authority Podcast, Plumbing and Mechanical, I just want to say a really big thank you to Dave, Billy, and Carrie. You guys took a big chunk out of your day to be here, but I have learned a lot from all three of you gentlemen. I really appreciate you sharing your insights, your experience, and your expertise. And, and I imagine our listeners are, are, are have a lot to kind of chew on uh, coming off of this podcast. So thank you all. Thanks, Christoph. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Authority Podcast, Plumbing and Mechanical. Love this episode of the podcast? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Please follow us on Twitter at AuthorityPM, on Instagram at The Authority Podcast, or email us at iatmo at iatmo.org. Join us next time for another episode of The Authority Podcast, Plumbing and Mechanical.
In the meantime, let's work together to make our buildings more resilient and shape us for the better.